I sound a little better. We are back once again with the ATP podcast around the post. Episode 176. And this is a good one because one plus six is seven, which makes this a double seven episode. Very special. And um, your boy Jay is here with Mark Figaroa. And where are we in Tennessee's in time? Um, we are how many weeks past the Australian Open? Four? It's about the 20 days before Indian Wells. 20 days before Indian Wells. That's a more relevant timeline. Uh, Indian Wells <laughs> is around the corner. And for those Southern California listeners, the San Diego Open. Yes, exactly. around the corner. Yes. Um, beautiful thing. So where are we starting today? How are you feeling? Good, good. We're going to start with the WTA as we normally do. Uh, Rabakina ended, ended up winning Abu Dhabi uh, last week. Uh, beating Kasakina. Mm-hmm. Um, so just a quick mention there. So a big topic for me that was very interesting with uh, everybody, you know, like Kyrgios always saying, if I win one, I'm going to retire. Mm-hmm. Sloane Stevens said, if I win a Grand Slam, I'm never playing tennis again. She's already won a Grand Slam. But she said, if she wins another one, I'm done. That's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, it's not as traumatic because she has already won a Grand Slam. So I I think for her, she's, I think she's checked out of tennis for the most part. You know, I don't think she's as invested in the sport or in love with it the way she used to be. And I think she's kind of out there maintaining her cash flow and paycheck. Yes. So, you know, I think she's kind of saying, if I get that big check one more time, I'll make it work. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, that's exactly what she's saying. But what are your thoughts of uh, a lot of the newer players saying that a lot? So I'm Not gonna, newer players, yeah, but... I'm going to break yes. down the two because I do think she's from the generation of I'm going to try to be a legend. Yes. And she just no longer feels she can do that. That's okay. how I feel about her. But I do feel that the newer generation really are one and done type of players. You know, we have a lot of players who just don't accept the lifestyle that it requires to be a legend they don't want to put the time in they don't want to put the hours in they don't want to deal with it and it's a very select and small breed of players who are open to pursuing that and i think that's going to help the sinners and the alcarazes who want that having less competition yes uh, you have these players that are in their almost in their 30s and that's the generation that are saying pretty much i'm one and done yeah and the younger generations are hungry yeah the uh, 19 to 26 they want it so yeah. i'm shocked about that but <clears throat> the big news today is that a soccer splits with her coach after <clears throat> six years uh now obviously everybody's saying well she should have done that a long time ago she's struggling for the past three years yeah i have no idea why they she kept that going mm-hmm. but what are your thoughts on that look normally Normally, I have negative thoughts about when players are doing this with coaches. This is probably one of the few times where I think she really gave it her best foot forward with her coach. And she tried to look inward, tried to figure out, is it a me thing? Try to figure out what other resolutions and ideas can I come up with to change my results that are not blaming my coach. And she's got to a point where... You know, when you're troubleshooting, you know, this is the next thing on the list when it's been over a year. So Sakri, I think, is making the right call here. They um, they were very amicable. Her her coach definitely posted, you know, um, 
uh, a spoken statement in regards to it. Yes. And it was, I liked the statement. It showed that they both have a lot of love and respect for each other. And, you know, it is what it is. I think that it is that time for them. You know, she needs a new look in her box. Yes, I just think she needs a new outlook. And whatever he was saying to her, uh, it pretty much didn't help at this point. Yeah. So it's time to move on from that. And she really needs it at this point. Yeah. And uh, hopefully she gets the right coach that's going to help her out. Yeah. <clears throat> now, um, the wild cards, uh, they were announced for uh, Indian Wells. And it's going to be Wozniacki and Venus Williams. <clears throat> uh, thoughts on that? Great choices. Um, I look forward to seeing both of them there. They will fill seats. Um, I don't expect them to make a bunch of noise at Indian Wells. Uh, to be frank with you, those are some slow courts. Yes. Um, and Venus in particular, I don't see her out there grinding it out, these long baseline rallies, and going deep. I do imagine her on a faster court getting those results for her serve and um, taking the bigger risks when she plays coming forward and stuff. So I'll be happy to see her out there. If you're hoping to see her, you better go in the first, second, or third round. Yes. Um, so for those of you fans that want to see her at Indian Wells, buy a ticket to the first week. Yes, I agree. And now this is a pretty big uh, stat. Um, about in 1983, uh, around this time, uh, Steffi Groff won her first uh, Grand Slam match at the age of 13 years old. Now, as you know, they've outlawed that, mm. and you have to be 16 at least. Mm. Um, and they also now look down your record, and you can only play so many matches. Yeah. Do you like the fact that they did that? The uh, WTA. Yeah, I do actually. And you know, here's the thing: I really don't think. If the tour is at the level it should be, a 13-year-old shouldn't be beating any pros. I genuinely feel that way. Um, you are not physically developed enough to outperform these players on the tour. So if that's happening, that speaks more to the level of the tour than the level of you. Um, I think 16 is the perfect age. I also think that responsibly, let's let these people, these kids' brains develop a little further because even, I mean, your brain's not done developing until you're 25 years old. If we've got players who are more than 10 years out from when that time's going to happen, and they've already essentially made a life decision for their career that yes. early, um, that's wrong. I don't think it's a good idea. So I think the 16's much better. So you think it's just a, a better, it's not a good look when a 13-year-old is beating a more seasoned player? It's a terrible look for the sport. Um, it shouldn't be possible. It doesn't look good when it happens. It's not the fairy tale story. Maybe some casual fans think it is. It is. It's. It's a hit the sport is taking when things like that happen. There shouldn't be small frame children beating professional women on the tour or men um, for that standard at all. So, you know, obviously it's possible, but I think sixteen is probably good with a modified schedule because it's not having a player too invested life-wise in the sport before we know that it's something they should do. So yes, I that, like it. Yes, that makes sense. So now we're going to go to Iga. Let me see if I can find the stat real quick. No, let's go with Layla Fernandez. And she's been, she's been on and off with uh, her uh, careers ever since the U.S. Open. She's mm -hmm. been struggling. Uh, she did make it to the quarterfinals of this uh, current tournament that they're playing in 
in Doha. Mm-hmm. Uh, she beat uh, the Australian Open finalist, uh, Kin Wen Zhang. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was a pretty big victory. She yeah. did lose to Rabakina in the quarterfinals, but that is still a very good yeah. uh, a match. What are your thoughts on uh, maybe Leila Fernandez coming back a little bit? Uh, she's having a good year, bottom line. I do think she's playing well this year. She beat Badosa and Samsonova and Zhang in a row at this tournament. Um, I don't care what your result is after that. That is a great result. You performed well. You beat players that I respect. And you lost to the player who was probably a favorite for the tournament. So big shout out to Leila Fernandez, who I think is doing a great job. You know, um, I think that we're seeing her official return. I, I'll make that hot take. I think she's back. Yes, I agree. And it must be the shoes. Yes, exactly. Uh, not playing in basketball shoes gives her more spring, I guess. <laughs> but the big, big uh, story here is uh, Naomi Osaka. Uh, she struggled a little bit. She got revenge on Garcia, mm-hmm. and she beat Martich. And she was she did play Pliskova. Uh, they went to three sets. Mm-hmm. And I really wish that Osaka would have won because uh, she would have played Iga. I would have loved to have seen that. Mm-hmm. But it didn't happen. But she is. She's won two matches in a row. Mm-hmm. And she's looking good. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, I got to see a good portion of the Garcia match. And I loved it. Uh, very happy with the way she played. Very happy with the way her backhand was looking in that match in particular. Um, didn't see her next two in a row after that. Uh, one was a walkover. And I didn't see her playing Martich at all. But I did get a bit of the the highlights of the Pliskova. Yes. And um, I've got to say, she lost it by threads of a needle. You yeah, know, she two, barely lost. Two tiebreakers in a row that both were, I want to say, seven, six, eight, six, nine, seven or something. You know, something crazy like that. Um, so, yeah, she's, in my opinion, we could consider her, and I kind of said this before, just get out there and just start. Don't try to come back perfect just get out there and get the matches under your belt get your mind there play tennis and don't overthink it you don't have anything to lose just play and she's doing that and it's working uh so uh, hopefully she's staying positive and we're starting to see her get back in the rhythm get back match sharp getting back um aggressive and getting her instincts back so i think it can only get better yes and um she also made a little change here uh, she said that she changed her service return. So I'm going to read to you uh, what she said exactly. She said, like before, I was taking one step, one step, and then jumping in. But now I'm just jumping in with both feet because Djokovic does it. Mm. So she's saying she's copied Djokovic's return. Who better to copy uh, the return? What are your thoughts? I love it. Um I mean, the greatest players in the world are that because of the adjustments they make and not the shots they hit. And it's great to see her observing someone who's probably the best in history at it and getting more balls in play because that's what the match is all about. You know, hold your serve and get as many return balls in play as possible and wait for opportunities. So I think if she can continue to improve on this new adjustment she's making, maybe we'll see a new Naomi Osaka. Yes, exactly. And I thought this was an insane stat here. So the Doha quarterfinals, uh, this was the first time, sorry, the second time only in the WTA that every single player in the quarterfinal draw had made one Grand Slam final. Mm. I thought that would have been a little more. But 
this Doha quarterfinal was only the second time in WTA history that that's happened. That's weird. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I thought it happened a lot more. Yeah, it's a little odd for me because it goes to show you how often upsets happen, but also it goes to show you how many people showed up to Doha. <laughs> yeah, that's possible, yes. Yeah, that's, uh, that's impressive. So, sounds like if you bought a ticket to Doha, you were in for a treat. Yes, I agree. So, now we're going to go on to the men. Now, I just want to start off with Sinner. So, Sinner, he's all, they asked him about the current generation, and he said, we are not the same. In comparison to himself, Alcaraz, Zverev, and Medvedev, he said, we're not the same players. I'm different. What are your thoughts on that? Okay, you got to give me some context here. Is he saying he's different from, who's he separating himself from? Because they asked him, what do you think of you guys, the new generation? And and in that generation, they put Zverev and Medvedev, Mm -hmm. which I don't think they are in that generation. They're not, they're separate. But since they're, uh, the, the contenders now, yeah. obviously uh, Zverev's making some noise. Yeah. Uh, he's saying, you guys are the new crop right now. Mm-hmm. And then that's when Sinner said, we're not the same. I'm I my own person. I'm different mm-hmm. in, com- in comparison to them. Yeah, I love it. Um, he's built different, according to him. <laughs> yes, he's built different. And let me, let me say this as well. Um, there's a statistic that I've read that could package them all together, which is players that had 100 wins by the age of 21. Yes. I think we've discussed this before. Yes. Uh, Zverev is in that list. Alcaraz, Sinner, and I think Medvedev's in that list. I don't remember. Um, But with that said, there are some commonalities between these players. But one thing they don't all have in common is Zverev is not at the level of accolades when it comes to slams as these guys. And on top of that, he's definitely buckled under pressure when the other guys rose. Yes. Um, so I don't like him being in the conversation. And then when it comes to Medvedev, I think he's just too old to be in that conversation. He's too far ahead of them. So I don't like it. And I love that he's separating himself. He yes. Doesn't, he doesn't see them as peers or rivals. Yes. That makes sense. So I found the Iga stat. So I'm going to say that before continuing with the men. Mm-hmm. So she reaches 90 career weeks at number one, and she's the 10th player to ever do it in WTA history. Mm. Thoughts on that? I think Iga has officially separated him herself from the WTA tour currently, and now she's fighting against ghosts. And I don't know if she's going to win that battle, but... This is an opportunity, and she's going to war with the Margaret Courts, the Navratilova, Serena Williams, Justine Hennens. You know, she's that's who she's her competition is now. Um, I don't, I don't get the feeling from her that I would get from some of those players, um, and I need a little more from her. So, as much as the statistics are impressive, I'm a little worried. Um, I, I want a little more from her this year in particular. Because it really feels like Sabalenka is stepping up to the plate in major ways. And now we're seeing Coco Goff creep in. We're seeing Rabakana finding consistency. Osaka's returning to the tour. I just wonder, what does Iga look like facing two to three of those kind of players on a row to win a slam? Yes, exactly. And um, she needs to do more than just win a French Open. She needs yeah. to win another title on another slam. So mm-hmm. that'll definitely separate for sure. Yeah. 
But um, now going on to what you had said about Zverev, here's a fact for you. Zverev is the first player in the Open era mm. to blow a two-sets-to-love lead in both the semifinals and final of a Grand Slam. As you know, Medvedev has done it multiple times in a final, but not yeah. in a semifinal. Yeah. But Zverev has done it, and he's the only player. Uh, you just said your thoughts, but uh, what are your thoughts again? I'll echo them a little bit, which is... Just he, to back up, pretty much, is why he, I yeah, said it. you're backing yes. up a statement without me even realizing it. Right. But he's really showing why... He's separating himself from these other guys in a negative way. Right. You know, like... He's going, don't compare me to Sinner. I choke. (laughs) Oh, jeez. So for me, it's, I think Zverev's got to battle his own demons, and they're the guy in the mirror. You know, he's, it's not his game. It's not his ability on a tennis court. It's genuinely not. He's got a massive forehand, massive backhand, massive serve, decent return. He's an intelligent player. Zverev beats himself a lot of times. So for me, I don't, I don't see that problem in Medvedev, Alcaraz, or Sinner. I don't see that issue ever in them. They have other issues. That's not one of them. Yes, exactly. <clears throat> so now, again, from uh, Marseille, Ugo Umber won that title. He beat Dimitrov in the final. Mm-hmm. So congratulations to him. He's actually had a lot of sleepy victories. He's beaten a lot of top 20 players, and it's been very quiet. Nobody's really noticed it but mm-hmm. he he actually has a very good record against the top 20 mm-hmm. so good congratulations to him and then we have the dallas champion which is tommy paul mm-hmm. yes uh but before going to him let's give a shout out to Giron. he won a couple of uh, matches against top five opponents so what are your thoughts on that <sighs> marcus Giron. sorry uh Five against top twenty. My apologies, top twenty. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yes. I'm not sure who he beat, but um, I'm gonna have to look it up to see if I'm actually impressed because he's one of those guys that I'm just not crazy about, uh, Marco Skiron. But um, I know one of them he beat Manorino. Yes, one of them was Manorino. Do you remember who else he beat by chance? I do not. Besides that one. Um. Yeah, Giron for me is definitely one of those guys. Just to to speak to what you're talking about. He's just he's a player that I just don't really imagine breaking through on a consistent basis because of his style of play. Um him beating Manorino is an impressive win. Yes. I do think it is. Um and he beat him handily. Um straight sets, I think one was a breadstick. Um and I think the other player he beat, which takes away from this a little more for me, was Francis Tiafa. Yes. Um I think that Francis Tiafo is not playing at his highest level right now. Um, so that one, for me, isn't as substantial in meaning, although it's great on paper. Yes. Uh, the Man Arena one is a big deal. I do like that W for him. Um, and then, yeah, he lost to the guy who won the whole championship. So, you know, good for him. I'm, I'm impressed. Yes, and now this is a very, very unique and interesting story. So prior to Buenos Aires, where... Um, Alcaraz is playing right now mm. uh, they were playing on clay in Cordoba and now we had two qualifiers in that final which is very unlikely to happen mm. uh, what are your thoughts on that that's crazy yeah um, two qualifiers yeah, who, in a final who were they do um, you remember I do not remember 
Um, let me see if I can find out for you. Um, because Alcaraz played and lost in the round of 16. It was a Luciano Dardari and Fabiano Bagnis. Interesting. And they were qualifiers to make it to the final. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to watch the rest of this event. Um, I'm a little puzzled by that. What... What's going on out there? Yeah, this was prior to Buenos Aires. So, mm. I, I, I mean, it was shocking to me that that happened. Mm-hmm. Normally, there's a seeded player in the top 50 that will make a run, and that's where they get their points, and that didn't happen at this tournament. Yeah. So that was that was insane to me. So now we're going to talk about um, Schwartzman. Now, Schwartzman's been struggling. He actually lost in the first round, and he's saying... He's basically saying the same thing that Dominic Team is saying. Hmm. You know, to where it's I've been struggling these past couple of years. I don't know where my game is at. I'm going to try my hardest, hmm. um, but it's kind of hard right now to find my game. Uh, yeah. What are your thoughts on Schwartzman? This is going to be a little bit biased here, but for me, um, I I'm kind of with Schwartzman on this one. I do think that Schwartzman has major physical disadvantages that could be a little discouraging. Um, And you have to play essentially perfect physical tennis at his size and stature to cut through and break through on the tour. And he's playing on a tour that's becoming less sequenced and calculated and more physical and athletic, right? So a lot of the new top guys are guys that move faster and hit harder. And think less, you know. So I think that the tour is starting to deviate away from what works for Schwartzman as a athlete. And yeah, I think that this might be his final year. Um, I don't think he's gonna run any faster than he does. I don't think he's gonna hit any harder. And unless he plays perfect tennis, it's gonna be a tough year. Yes. Um, I think that the ceiling of the Schwartzman game in comparison to the Dominic team game is very different. You know, I think the ceiling of a Dominic team is higher. So that's why I'm a little more skeptical of him stopping or quitting than Schwartzman. Um, this, his last uh, title was in 2021 and in 2004, 24, my apologies. He's lost four of the last five matches that he's played. Yeah. That could be, um, that could be discouraging for sure. Yes. And, uh, he's not a big guy. So he needs to depend on a lot in order to mm. make his game better. Yeah. And uh, taking it early, being faster, and he may not have that right now. It's stressful. That's yes. a stressful style of tennis. Yes. So we we have the Rotterdam uh, quarterfinals. Mm. Uh, it was uh, Sinner and Milos. Milos uh, has had a couple of victories. He's looking mm-hmm. good. Um, and then... Uh, uh, Greek Spore and Rusvori. Rusvori has silently been winning a little bit. Mm-hmm. Grigor, is, he's making noise everywhere he goes. Yeah. And then Rublev and Demenor. What are your thoughts on that? Um, so first and foremost, very happy for Milos Raonic with what he's doing and what he's accomplishing. Um, tough loss when he played at um, the Australian. Yeah, he had to bow out. Yeah, he bowed out and... It was after getting the first set off Diminor, who's yes. on fire right now. Yes. Um, so I was a little curious what the walkover really was about. 
Um, and it feels something very important would he be gone for a while again, but he's already back and he's playing at a decent level. Um, yeah, he's playing Yannick Sinner. I think we're going to get all the answers we need to see out of that. Um, I don't expect him to win by any means, but if he's able to compete, that will be something he can build confidence of from even in a loss. Yes. Um, beating Bublik, who's also in great swing, great momentum, playing very well. Um, I'm interested to see what's next for him. Yes, and speaking of Bublik, uh, him and Musetti were playing uh, doubles in Rotterdam. Oh, that, I didn't know that. That's a very interesting doubles uh, combination. That's a tricky little team. And Musetti's very smooth. Bublik is the the one, the showman he's trying to find mm. every time to try to hit a shot. Yeah. But what are your thoughts on that doubles combination? I would pay money to watch that. I'm a big fan of that. But also, that is not a serious enough team to win a doubles tournament. <laughs> so <laughs> they're definitely another one of those catch them in the first or second round because they will not get past that with yes. the way they play. So that's fun, though. That's yes. fun that they got together. And then the big milestone this week was uh, Nicholas Jari. Uh, he got his 100th career victory, and he did it against the Stanimal. The Stanimal won his first round, and then Jari and uh, Stanimal mm. won, but played each other, and he beat him. Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, that's cool. Um, how old is Jari? He's been around a while, hasn't he? Yes, yes. Um, man, I wonder how old he is. I'll look it up. But um, you said his 100th? Yes. So let's put some things in perspective here. Um, 100 wins on the tour is impressive, but there's about 25 tournaments on a normal pro's schedule, right? Yes. Which means if you win one match at each of your events, you should have 100 wins by age 22. Um, he's probably closer to 30, creeping up there. Um, so it took him a kind of a while to get to 100, right? Uh, Alcaraz already has 100. Sinner already has 100. Rune already has 100. Um, that means he doesn't have a lot of good results in events. Um, but nonetheless, he's still in the tour, still getting wins. So congratulations to him for 100. But the stat isn't as impressive as it sounds. I will say that. Okay, that's fair. Um, uh, that's all I have. Do you have stuff you want to talk about? I absolutely do. Um I have an interesting statistic for you I want to ask you about. Um, we're going to talk just active ATP players only. Okay. Right? And we're going to talk about who has the most losses, love six. Who's been bageled the most? So there's here's a, it's a combination of things you got to factor in here. First and foremost, who's still on the tour and been on the tour that long, right? Because if you've been on the tour for 20 years then you probably have more bagels than a guy who's been on at five, right? Yeah. Um, but also, who dropped serve three times in a set? It's a good question also, right? Because if you have an incredible serve, it's going to be kind of hard to get bageled. Um, do you have any guesses for people who have, one, been on the tour a good stint of time, and two, maybe you don't have the best serve? Anyone come to mind? So... Is the question who has been bageled the most? Yeah, who has taken the most zero six sets in their career? Okay, honestly, I would think Djokovic, especially the beginning of his career, with mm -hmm. not a big serve until Goran came in. Mm -hmm. So that would be my my uh, guess right there. Okay, Djokovic is not on this list. Okay, um, there's a few guys on this list that have just been bageled. I I'm surprised by some of these. I'm I mean, thinking Monfils. Monfils is on this list. Yes. 
because he's, he's another one. He's another one that adjusted his serve, mm-hmm. and then he got that little rotic motion. Yeah, but it came later in his career mm-hmm. for sure. So I, I him for sure. Okay, good guess. You you saved yourself a little. Yes. All right. Uh, in last place with seventeen six zero losses in his career to date, Diego Schwartzman. Okay. He doesn't have a big surf. Uh, he doesn't have a big surf. Um, no. And we, like we said earlier, relies a lot on athleticism to right. stay afloat. Yes. Um, next one, Nishioka. That's actually a little shocking. Yeah. 20 times he's been bageled. And for people who don't have a close eye on him, which is most tennis fans, he's a little bit of a mental case mm-hmm. on the court. And a lot of people don't see that side of him. But uh, he loses it mentally a lot in matches. And it does lead to bagels every now and then. Yes. This next one, surprising, but I'm sure once I say it, you'll be able to think of why. Stan Wawrinka, he has lost six love 20 times. Wow. He's been on the tour a very long time. That makes sense. He's one of the five oldest players on the pro tour. And yes. I think that's, and he didn't actually explode on the scene until he was 28. Yeah. So the first 10 years of his pro career, I don't even know what he was doing. <laughs> like, I don't remember. Um, then the next one with 21 times he's been bageled, Gail Monfi. Uh, so you guessed that one right. Yes, I did. This next one, you would have guessed it, but you just forgot about this guy. Benoit Pair. Oh, geez. Of course. <laughs> yes. This guy Especially is, lately. Yeah, he throws matches. Yes, yes. So, he's just there to pick up a check, and he's admitted it. Yeah, so he's got 21, 22 times he's been bageled. Um, and these next few... I'd like you to maybe dive into why or if you have any thoughts on them. With 23 times he's been bageled, David Goffin. He doesn't have a kick serve. He has nothing but a slice serve. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's predictable. Everybody knows it's going to go to the right. Yeah. And just to speak to that fact, um, I've been doing a little research on why Ali Asim is losing. Did you know that he slices all his second serves? Yes, yes. Uh, I I noticed that at the uh, at the Australian Open. Yeah, he doesn't have a kick serve, and it's it lands in the same spot every single time. Yeah, that's why he's struggling. Yes, I didn't realize that until recently. Yes, and I love that you saw that about GoFan as well because yes. the slice serve is not good enough to be a second serve exclusively on the tour. It's yes. just not. It literally is tapering off to most players' forehands. Correct. Um. So very interesting. You said that. That's a very good uh, observation. The next one, that's a funny one too, Richard Gasquet. Okay, he's been playing a long time. Yeah. So that's that's one of the reasons why I thought Djokovic was going to be on the list. Yeah. But yeah, especially lately, after mm. his win in Auckland, he's been struggling. So yeah. I could see it. And his forehand is loopy. Yeah. You know, so I get it. He doesn't have a big, big serve. He slices his serve a lot. Yes. And he has a loopier forehand. So yes. he can be exposed by yes. the right players. Next person, another second serve slice. We're finding a pattern here. Adrian Manorino. Yeah. He has been bageled 31 times. Now, that's shocking because at least he is left-handed. So, yeah. it is going to the backhand. Yeah. So, that is a little more acceptable. Mm-hmm. But, uh, honestly, I don't think he was as fit as what he was mm. uh, back then now. Yeah. Right now, he's super fit. Yeah, he's the best he's ever been. And he had the same play style with less fitness back then. Yes. Uh, so I could see why he was getting bageled back then. Yes. And the very last one. This man has had 39 6-0 losses. This man is Fabio Fagnini. Wow. 
Yeah, that one I think has a lot more to do with the mental than the yes. physical. This guy is a bit of a nutcase. This oh, is the same guy who's beaten a doll on clay. Yes. So I was very surprised when I saw that, but that uh, concludes my list of people with the most bagels on the tour. Now, that's actually shocking that Fognini is the leader because he doesn't have a slice serve. He does have a little bit of a kick. Yeah. So, and it's not as attackable. Yeah. So that is surprising to me. Yeah, me too. But also, he might be the nuttiest of that whole list. Yes. Besides, the mental case. Yeah, for sure. So maybe that's it. Him and Benoit Pair are close. Oh, yeah. But I think uh, Fognini has a more complete game than Benoit Pair. So, once again, kind of surprising. Um, but he also plays a lot more tennis in general. That's so, true. Um, and I have my last statistic. This one's much shorter. This is just the big three, the original big three. How many rackets have been smashed by each player in the big three grand total? And zero gonna, for Nadal. Zero for Nadal. You got that right. Yes. Nadal has never smashed a racket on television in his career. And he's made it a point that he hasn't, that yeah. he's never have, and he's made it a point. Yeah. How many do you think Federer has smashed in his career on television? On television. Let's see here. Um, when he was young, he used to smash them all the time. So we're going to have to go through there. Uh, okay, I'm going to go less than less than 20. It's less than 20. Yes, that's mm-hmm. what I figured. So I'm going to go with maybe 10. Close. He's only smashed five rackets okay. on television. Okay. You are right. Before television, yes, he was smashing some rackets. But yeah, he, he matured a lot when he hit the Pro Tour. Yes. Um, and I did see a interview where he said that his parents would take his rackets from him yeah. in his junior career because they're all, we can't be affording to pay all these rackets. Mm. Last one, Novak Djokovic. No, jeez, over 100. <laughs> <laughs> Novak Djokovic has broken 62 rackets okay. in his career. He has 30 times... No, I'm sorry. He has... Oh, man, I'm losing my math here. 15 times. 15 times more than uh, Roger Federer. Um, that's a lot of rackets. Um, for a guy who wins that much. <laughs> it means to break that many rackets when you usually win everything you play in is pretty impressive. Um, yeah, that means the big three cum- cumulatively have broken 67 rackets and none of them belong to the dog. There you go. He must love that a lot. Yes, he does. Um, I think that's everything I've got. That was a good one. In that case, I hope you guys were entertained. <laughs>